It's Tuesday, September 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Special Ops, Mike Olson. And from Motley Fool Inside Value and Motley Fool Hidden Gems in Australia, Joe Mager. In the house. Woo! Welcome. Wow. It's good to be back. Welcome back, my friend. How was the trip, by the way? Long and boring. <laughs> I flew United. Let me just say, if you can fly Qantas instead, fly Qantas. What about the Alaska Airlines leg of the flight? Other than the almost lost baggage, it was relatively pleasant. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to talk Pandora. We're going to talk apparel retail, which is in the news this morning. But we're going to start with big tech, and that is Microsoft. Shares of Mr. Softy up this morning after announcing a $40 billion share buyback program. They're also going to increase their dividend 22%. I don't know, Joe. I look at how Microsoft has spent billions of dollars over the last couple of months, and I think, well, this isn't the worst idea no. in the world. No, I think this is much better than, I don't know, buying a Nokia or Skype, for example, hypothetically. Uh, yeah, I think it's good of them to be dishing out more in dividends. And to Microsoft's credit, among the big cap tech companies, they have been uh, the biggest player in returning cash and have been doing it for a long time now. They were, as far as I can think of, the biggest major tech company other than an IBM that's been paying big dividends for a while. Um if you are a Microsoft shareholder, you're probably pretty happy about a $40 billion repurchase program. I am not much of a fan of the business, so that doesn't endear it anymore to me. But I can see how, in a big picture, if you're a bull, that you're probably very happy with that. Yeah, Mike, we hear all the time that Microsoft generates so much cash quarter after quarter. It seems like that is how to deploy that cash is maybe a bigger challenge than I had previously thought. I mean, for all the fun that I have poked at Microsoft over the years of throwing good money after bad, after Skype, Nokia, et cetera, et cetera, I don't know. This this seems like um, the lowest hanging fruit. If you're looking right. to deploy billions of dollars, this seems like the lowest so, hanging fruit. So two interesting data points here. The first is I've been a long-suffering Microsoft shareholder. I've owned them for seven years, and I've hated probably five of them. <laughs> um, and there's a certain irony associated with this. I looked at my returns versus the S&P. And I have actually beaten the S&P by 10 percentage points over that period. Another data point there, one quarter of my total return has come from dividends. And that gets to the third, which is that I wish they would LBO themselves. Um, <laughs> the reality here, I think there's one data, one thing that's worth noting here is they re-upped on this $40 billion repurchase. That was already, it had expired and they hadn't fully executed the repurchase authorization. The one thing that's somewhat interesting in context here, you'd like to hope this is the end, as you guys have said, of stupid acquisitions, poor capital allocation, building empires. And like, I mean, why, if you're a software company, do you need a search engine? I don't really know. Um, one of my favorite activist investor firms, uh, Value Act. They've taken a very large position in Microsoft, and it was recently announced that the president of the firm will be assuming a seat on the board in mid-November. Very good news. Very good news. And this particular move, uh, Value Act, they don't really try to tell people how to manage their business so much as they try to ask pointed questions around capital allocation. And so you'd like to hope 
that this is at their urging. Um, and I think it'll be telling, or the thing that we'll be telling about this is how quickly that share, those share purchases are executed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if it happens pretty quickly, it shows they've got sway. And if it happens over a few years, then you know that it was basically just a way to placate them. Mm-hmm. Microsoft is going to have a new CEO by this time next year. Steve Ballmer will be gone. Someone and- else will be occupying that chair. How seriously should that person, whoever he or she is, should they consider breaking up Microsoft? Hmm. I, I think it's attractive, but I don't know that someone would do it. I think they're probably going to come in and think that they can fix things. They wouldn't take the job otherwise. I think the biggest challenge, we've got two huge challenges. But isn't that a path to fixing things? Um, it could be. I would sell Bing. I would try and sell it to Facebook. Uh, I think Facebook could make better use of it and the, the technology and the brand. Um, or at least I would try and pawn it off on someone, but it's just hemorrhaging cash. It's a distraction from the core business. I do think there is value in keeping the office side with desktop. I think if you split them up, you you lose some real synergy there, and they would go their own ways. So I don't find the breakup ideas compelling as a lot of people do. I think it would be a great short-term idea, and the market would love it, but in the long term, they might be shooting themselves in the foot. Right. I think that, yeah, you really have to be careful because a lot of what Microsoft is built around is this sort of synergy that enterprise customers receive, and you create this tightly integrated network. Now, I believe the concerns surrounding the OS are vastly overstated, um, and frankly, they could go ahead and just let that business decline, and it wouldn't matter that much. That being said, do you necessarily need to be a handset company in order to excel in an enterprise context? I'm not really sure about that. Do you need to have a search engine? No. Do you need to sell video games? Absolutely not. So, like Joe said, I don't know that you want to go ahead and really parcel out the consumer businesses where you separate the OS from the other franchises, but getting rid of something like Xbox and Bing, which from the right buyer, will fetch a decent premium. Yep. That's not a bad decision. But hasn't Xbox been one of the lone bright spots for this company? It is, but it's so small that it doesn't really move the needle, and it doesn't really help with enterprise, which I think is, Mike is right, that that is the real golden goose here and will be. Oh, and MSN. Uh, hmm? What? <laughs> Why are you trying to program content? Yeah, leave that to us. Yeah. I value them. Uh. Um Shares of Pandora have risen about 150% so far in 2013, but they are down more than 5% this morning after the company warned that growth is slowing and there's also a secondary offering, Mike, 10 million new shares so that Pandora can raise $235 million. What are they going to do with it? Okay, I love Led Zeppelin Radio, but... um, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. When your smartest and largest shareholder is selling shares, that's not a good sign. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they want to make money. They're a VC firm. I understand. But like, these guys, they're, they're paid a lot of money because they're probably pretty smart at what they do. I agree. This is the kind of situation where you shouldn't try and overthink it. They're selling the shares because they're expensive, and they're selling at 145 times forward earnings. And those forward earnings Wait, are, oh, are, are non-gap. There's no chance they're actually doing that. Uh, yeah, those are non-GAAP, and I would be shocked if they actually delivered on that. So, yeah, I mean, these guys are just cashing out, and they're raising money also for general corporate purposes, which is code for our shares are overvalued, so we're trying to sell them uh, while right. we can at this price. And- yeah, so, so a really interesting uh, couple of data points here. 
Pandora's primary expense, I was looking at the filings this morning, is licensing music from music companies. And they break it out on a per-user basis. They're basically charged per song. So whenever somebody listens to a song, they are charged a fee in association with that. Now, there are two critical problems here. The first is that you don't want to be charged per song because then there's no scale as you grow your user base. But you might say, okay, so you know what? Pandora's going to get a lot of users. And in turn, they'll be able to pay less per song and they'll make more money. Oh, no. Actually, they've <laughs> grown a lot since they've gone public. And in fact, the cost of licensing a given song has continued to go up. So you might ask yourself, I love Pandora. Me too. But uh, <laughs> I but you're not I don't paying. love the stock price. You, you love them, but you're not paying them. You're one of those people who does – like there are people here at The Fool who are subscribers. They pay the – what? I am a subscriber. 12, okay, you're a subscriber. Yeah, I'm are a big fan. I, I, why, why would I do that when I have Spotify? I mean, I, I just don't get it. Um, and then you have Apple Radio. Uh, that, I mean, that's another thing, which is basically that, like, the means whereby we consume music. Think about this. If you were to ask, you know, 20 years ago when you were listening to tapes in your car, would you have thought that this is how you would have listened to music? Is there any sort of durability surrounding this franchise, even if they can figure out, like, you know, how to make money? Uh, the the medium itself is always changing. Yeah, and if you do want super premium content, you go with SiriusXM, right, which has great music but tons of original content too. Mm-hmm. Although SiriusXM, I believe next year they've got uh, a tipping point coming in Howard Stern's contract, which I believe is eighty million dollars a year. Yeah, and they might actually start to make some more money. I mean, uh, really, uh, I'm not. I have a serious. I just bought a new car, and I have a serious promo subscription. And the last thing I want to listen to is Howard Stern. Like, I would rather bludgeon myself. I'm sorry. Uh, See, but then you have people like Ron Gross, who that is the reason. I mean, there are plenty of people, Ron Gross being one of them, that is the reason they subscribe to Sirius I like XM. Ron a lot, but I don't understand <laughs> that. Um. But I think that's, that's the challenge for a Sirius XM, is that they've got this content to get people through the door. And for them, it's Howard Stern and the NFL. And if you're Howard Stern and you're the NFL, when your contract is up, you're not looking to accept less money. You're looking for even more money. I am so disconnected from the world. Um. (laughs) The thing is, though, that because of the merger between those guys, there's there's no rival bidder. So there's so much scale now with that business and... John Malone has been investing in these guys. While I've been gone, I've I fell in love with John Malone. By the way, uh, that's my new big thing. You guys to a foreign country. How does how does your wife feel about this? Uh, she's okay with it. I talk about him a lot. Uh, yeah, it's a great business. And now because the two are together, they're really flexing on pricing. They're flexing on costs, and uh, they have a very different set of cards in front of them, a lot stronger hand than Pandora does. I guess that raises an interesting question, too, which is that you talk about Howard Stern. I mean, where else can he go? Um, there is not any other medium which is well-suited to his uh, unique breed of content. I well, I mean, you look at Oprah or you look at Glenn Beck, I mean, two huge personalities that thought it would be a better idea to go off on their own and yeah, that's working. It obviously, for him. didn't work out for Glenn Beck, or at least it doesn't seem to have. And Oprah, the network isn't uh, going so hot. It's not, but I don't know. I, I I think the drama that will unfold between Howard Stern and SiriusXM. There's been drama in the past. It got resolved. I think this next one is going to be worthy of a heavyweight title bout. And I yeah. I, w- I would not. 
I'm not one of those people who is rushing out to subscribe to SiriusXM just so I can listen to Howard Stern. But by the same token, I wouldn't assume that if Howard Stern doesn't re-up with SiriusXM, then he's just going to fade away. Someone is going to someone's going to pay him a lot. Someone of money. is going to pay him a lot of money. Arrow mm. uh, Postel <laughs> up more than 17 percent this morning after the news broke that a private equity firm has taken an 8% share in the company, making it the fourth largest shareholder in Aeropostale. Uh, Mike, what is the what is the end game here? So, is, the, is, the, is the fervent hope that someone is going to swoop in and take Aeropostale private? Um, it's, it's actually, they, they're an activist investor. They went ahead and filed a 13D. They didn't say what their intention is, what they hope to correct by going activist with Aeropostale. And... My personal belief here is that if you have somebody who has maybe character flaws, is not a particularly nice person, whatever, you can fix that. But you can't fix ugly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that's just irreparable. And that's what Aeropostale is. They are a teen retailer which has had an exceedingly poor record of merchandising, correct, connecting with their customers, and continuously delivering results. And the reality is that that's just the nature of the sphere. They're consistently on notice. They must continuously reinvent. So what's this activist firm going to do? They're going to say, oh, cut back on uh, new store openings, cut your expenses, lower, inven- lower your inventory on hand, repurchase shares. Does that remedy what really ills Aeropostale? Well, is it Aeropostale or is it the entire sector? Because it It's seems the entire like sector, but Aeropostale has been really bad. I mean, they have been, but they are pretty undermanaged. But right, right now, I, I look at apparel retail and I think there is not a single industry I want to get further away from than that. that uh, just any industry as oh, an agree. investor. I agree. I yep. mean, I, I don't own. I can't imagine what would pry me into buying a mall retailer. It, it's the last thing that I would be interested in. And. You know, just getting back to the company, I agree. It's a terrible space. On the, if you take an optimistic viewpoint, though, and you do have experience turning around retailers, there's a lot of low hanging fruit here. I mean, it's a cheap company, so the it's only like a six hundred seventy million dollar market cap that helps. It's got great balance sheets, so you could come in and lever it up. Not that these businesses generally need leverage. Yeah. I feel like we've um, seen this story before, and it's not yeah. gone well. But well, I mean, inventory turns have been falling, and. Probably the most glaring number is the gross margins contracted from 40% to 30% over the last four years, which is just a mind-boggling epic fail from management. So I think if you were to get somebody in there with a fresh set of eyes, it's not difficult to improve upon this situation. Isn't part of the turnaround here, isn't one play from this playbook, to look at what Macy's has done in managing their footprint? You look at Macy's, they have done such a great job historically of keeping their footprint Small and profitable. They're not looking to expand endlessly. Is that so, is that part of the move here? For one Aero thing that's Postal? interesting about Macy's, which is separate from Aeropostale, is they are brand agnostic, and you know that's a lot easier in terms of keeping your traffic flow. When customers turn against your brand, or is there there is some perception that there's been a terminal decline? That's a lot harder to correct, Joe. I mean, in all the time we've been at the Fool, how long was were the Gap shares of value, and how long did it take for that story to actually play out? Long time, long, long time, time. Yeah, I will say this, and I know this simply from polling the one teenager who lives in my house, and that is that one thing Aeropostale does have going for it is a value proposition. Because if you're 
a teenage girl, you're looking at Aeropostale. You're looking at the money that you have on hand. And mm-hmm. at least they have that going for them as opposed to an Abercrombie & Fitch, which is just for the average teenager, just a non-starter. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. It's true. Um, Before we wrap up, uh, you didn't come – I brought a little something. You didn't come empty-handed. Tell our dozens of listeners uh, what <laughs> what tribute you have brought into the studio. Well, I brought some kangaroo prosciutto with me from Sydney. <laughs> it's from – let me go just, ahead. Let me just go read ahead. from the package here. This is from – I love this brand – Poacher's Pantry. And – Again, reading from the label here, kangaroo prosciutto is great on a pizza garnished with thinly sliced pear and roquette added just before serving. What is what is roquette? It's rocket. Rocket. Okay, I'm mispronouncing that. So, what what is that? It's the uh, salad. It's salad. It's um the arugula. Oh, the, arugula. Yeah, arugula. Yeah. Why not just say arugula? I don't know, man. They got a few words like that. I'll tell That's you one. what. This is uh, really meaty. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got uh, – you know how everyone says that word gamey? And nobody really knows what it means. When but it, but you, know it, mean, you know it when you taste yeah, it, it's, it's like love. I mean, are you <laughs> tasting gamey here? No. No, no this is, you're this, not? This is delicious. Uh, I'm getting a very strong meat flavor. There's some smoky. This is not mm-hmm. your ordinary prosciutto. No, I'm a fan. No. I'm I'm a, I'm a strong buy on kangaroo prosciutto, and I'm a, a, a very, very lean, a very strong yeah. buy on poachers pantry. And you shouldn't feel bad about it because they're overpopulated. Who's overpopulated? Kangaroos. Is it? Are they like? Are they destroyed the environment or something like that? <laughs> they're like <laughs> they're vicious kangaroos. You're saying they're, they're a menace to society? And there are too many. It's like deer. You know that when we went to have dinner at Ron's place that one time, and we almost hit like. A deer every hundred yards driving out of its place in northern Virginia. Deer are like large rats. Okay, I've just I've have you seen I've, a kangaroo. Uh, I have never seen a kangaroo. I mean, that's why I have to visit you. Uh, they are fast moving. Mm-hmm. It's exactly this kind of insight that you don't get on Bloomberg. That's why we have dozens of listeners. Mike Olson, Joe Mager, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.